Welcome to the Life Curation Podcast. I'm your host, Andrina Tisi. Together, we will explore thoughts, inspirations, and conversations that feed our soul, spark the mind, and nourish the body. Thank you so much for being here to learn and grow and for walking this journey called life with me. Welcome to the Life Curation Podcast. Thank you for being here. Today's guest is my dear friend Eileen. And we recorded this talk back in November. So it is a while back. However, it's still very relevant as a topic and the learnings are timeless. And even though Eileen and I are both in Zurich and both speak Swiss German, we decided to have this talk in English as we are both bilingual as well as we really wanted to make it accessible to more of you and both of our work is a lot of time in English too. So you will notice how much knowledge and resources Eileen embodies. Our conversation could have gone on for hours, but I believe it's a really good start to tap into this topic. And before we dive into it, a little bit more background about Eileen. She was born and went to school in Zurich, and you will learn a little bit more about her oriental roots at the beginning of our conversation. Her path led her through cultural science studies, event management, music, yoga, her former plant-based food business, Ayla Real Food, holistic health coaching, and eventually led her to Ayla Real Health. A disease she was faced with a few years ago provoked her total awareness of the importance of her own health. And since then, she vowed with all her heart, and she has a really, really big heart, to help others live a life with more self-awareness. And besides her job... She loves practicing yoga, studying, cooking, listening to music, spending time with her partner, her family, her dog Aki, and her friends. So with no further ado, let's dive into our conversation. Thank you for being here. Well, hi, Eileen. So nice to have you here on my podcast. Thank you, Andrina. Thanks for having me. We see each other often on Zoom um, with different reasons. So this is another one. <laughs> so to start with, I would like to give you some this and that question. I always do that with my guests, just as a little bit of an icebreaker and for people to get to know you on a little bit of a different level. So mountains or ocean? Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Appetizer or dessert? Appetizer. Roses or sunflowers? Sunflowers. Vegetables or fruits? Vegetables. Bath or shower? For sure, bath. You're fast. It's so funny. I'm so fast because all of the questions are so binary to me. And if you know me, 
I don't like mountains at all. I don't like roses at all. And I don't like desserts. So those were so easy for me. And I didn't know. I have like a whole list. And I, I was wondering, because, you know, we know each other quite well. And still, I was like, what do I want to know about Eileen that I don't know? It's <laughs> so, so interesting because, and I think that's going to lead to what I'm going to talk about later on. But those are so implicit informations about me, which you can't know unless you know me really well. Exactly. That's why I also like to ask those questions to start. That's yeah, so cool. So tell us a little bit about your cultural background. All right. So um, I was just talking about it yesterday and it's always, um, I'm grappling with the explanation, even though it's super easy. So I was born and raised in Zurich, Switzerland, And I lived here all of my life. My dad is Turkish, 100%. And my mom is half Turkish, which makes her half Swiss, half Turkish. But if you ask me what I am, I would say I'm half-half. I'm 50-50. Genetically, I'm 75% Turkish and only 25% Swiss. But of course, this is only the genetics, which is, again, something that you can trace back. But my feeling is more of half-half. So I went to school here, and I think language plays such a pivotal role because um, I was born and raised here. So I went to school here. All my friends were Swiss, so I never had Turkish friends in a funny way. But um, culturally, I have a massive pull towards Turkey. So if I hear music, which is so intuitive, I feel almost romantic when I hear Turkish music and the food or the smell, which is something almost unexplicable. Therefore, I consider myself half-half. And yeah, I mean, I have deliberately studied cultural sciences um, at university because I think It was always a topic I was moved by. Um, and after all, culture is so much more than your inheritance, where you come from. It's truly what shapes you, right? So it's music, it's society, it's um, art, it's politics. So everything that had an influence on me makes my cultural background. So beautiful. Yes. And that's why also I thought I'll ask, because I do find it interesting especially also in Zurich it is a pretty big melting pot and also with your name right you don't have such a usual name so I'm sure people are interested to hear that yeah and something I said yesterday and this is so interesting what do you consider yourself and what others see might differ so much. So I don't think that I look Turkish, but from the outside, everyone asks, where are you from? And then I would say from Switzerland, and then they would stress it again, but where are you from? So this is such a typical question. And that's when I have second thoughts about how I present myself, right? How I, how I portray myself. So I think half-half is a good way of talking about me as a cultural being. <laughs> Excellent. So just literally right before we um, turned on to Zoom here, I just realized that today is the 11th of 11 and we started at 11. <laughs> so it's so interesting that we are talking about 
you know, numbers and their meanings and the matching square and all that. And we have fixed our date at 11, 11, 11. And I'm looking at the watch on my computer right now and it's 11, 11. So quite, quite, quite canny, right? So numbers. <laughs> Were you always interested in numbers already as a child or how did that come about? Absolutely not. I was not interested at all. I was turned off in a in an almost ironic way because I was so bad at math. I was so good at languages. I was very creative all my life and I could never fit into a box. And I was almost repelled by numbers. So if I heard about physics, math. I would literally run away. But I talked about this the other day. I do think that it was also how the teachers delivered the material because it was so pragmatic and I could not relate to it. It didn't speak to me because I was pretty one-sided when it comes to um, my, my brain chemistry. So I think the numbers in their quantity, always repelled me. And I just, I just had a flashback. I think I dreamt about 11-11, November 11th, this night. It's so funny that you're talking about it. Yeah. So when did you start to get interested in numbers? And on that note also, what are the energetics behind numbers for you? And I know that's different for, for many people, but for you. So it was more of a happenstance. I was in my first job years ago. I mean, I guess it's almost 15 years or something back. And I was working with a gal and she was constantly writing down scribbling numbers. So all of a sudden I was hold to it. I it draw my attention. So I would ask her, what are you scribbling? So she introduced me to numerology. But little did I know that the way she was working with the numbers was just a sliver of the, the full depth of those numbers. So then I got introduced to her teacher and he again introduced me to his teacher. And this is when I started to um, immerse into those numbers. So I got introduced to her teacher. So it's almost like a lineage. So I took that narrative thread and traced it back to the source. And the woman with whom I studied for some years is Christina Bengel, and she's really well known in Switzerland and also in Germany. So I found such a fascination, as you said, in the quality of numbers. And the first thing I learned about numerology was that Pythagoras taught the majority of people the quantity of numbers. So the way, you know, maths is the way Pythagoras taught his pupils. But then he had an esoteric circle, which was a selected little circle and he taught them the quality of numbers. It was almost hidden knowledge. It was coded knowledge. And this is what I could relate to all of a sudden. And there's something I didn't say in the beginning, but I could always memorize codes and numbers very easily. 
And that's so funny because it's something that's so deeply dormant in me. And I don't know why, but I have, I almost have like a, a sixth sense when it comes to numbers. So that quality was always dormant in me. And I think she just sparked it by talking about the qualities of the numbers. And then all of a sudden, a huge huge cosmology started to open up because a number has an archetype and behind that archetype there's so much symbolism and there's so much meaning and this gave me a tremendous amount of insight so interesting so I mean you know we can we said before already we could talk about this for a very very long time <laughs> but going back a little bit to you know today's state which also in the spiritual world it's a big date 11/11 so can you talk a little bit about that yeah so in numerology however you want to look at it and i think there are so many interpretations of numerology but archetypically one is really how you drop in One is the self, it's the seed, it's the beginning of all beginnings. So if you look at yourself or if you look at the world right now, one is really the source. Within you, it's your utmost essence. So it's how you truly embody yourself as a whole entity. So you can always look at something in an individual way, but also in a collective way. So if you look at it from an individual vantage point, one, 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 one is the culmination of self-mastery. It's really how you do master all your competencies, all your, um, I don't know, shortcomings, because there's always a karmic and the dharmic aspect of a number, right? It's what you already own, but what you have as a duty to fulfill. So for everyone, 1111 is the embodiment of self-mastery. If you look at it on a global scale, it's the, self, it's the same thing. It's how do you take ownership for everyone right now? There's such a huge movement. There has been such a huge shift, right? So it's really finding that self-awareness and the consciousness, looking at it like a portal through which we all have to come through on the other end with more awareness. I think that's the, the bigger teaching. Amazing. And moving into a little bit of that magic square, which you work with as well, And the reason why I reached out to you to do this interview with you is because I know your interest and knowledge in the numerology as well as in the magic square. And for me, you know, and, and maybe a little bit wrong, there is a connection because I see if I look at the magic square and we will link it in the show notes so people can see it, there are numbers too. And I know there is house and floor and rooms and all that. So just on a kind of a simple level, if you can, what is the magic square? All right. I will try to break it down as simplistically as possible. So the magic square is a tic-tac-toe board. You can look at it like a map. So You have nine quadrants. They all have an, an equal size. So think of a tic-tac-toe board on three floors with three rows. 
Okay, so you have nine little squares. So it comes from, um, it's called a low shoe, and it really comes from the Bagua, which is an ancient way of mapping out. So it's often used in feng shui to grid a room, to organize a space. So if you look at your body, we refer to the body as a house because we live in a mundane world. So it's easier to look at the body as a house than looking at the body as a temple. So the body is um, a representation of rooms. So you take that tic-tac-toe board and you put it on yourself. That's what Naveen did, the founder of Katona Yoga. So she takes that tic-tac-toe board and places it on the body. And you take it onto yourself so you can look through those numbers out into the world. So in a way, you're superimposing it on you. And the reason why she's doing that is to give yourself a root. Because in a way, the body is very explicit. So we can see, ah, oh, that's my arm, that's my hand. But what goes deeper inside of you is more of a subtle layer, which sometimes is not tangible. So the way she's using that tic-tac-toe board on the body gives you a pathway. It gives you like a narrative thread or a thread that brings you into the topographical landscape of yourself. And once you put it on yourself, you can grid out an area. So it's like looking at a map, right? When you go to New York, you want to find a street. So you go A5, right? So you know exactly what's the horizontal and what's the vertical line. And in the middle where the two dots meet or the two lines, you X mark the spot. So you do exactly the same thing with the magic square in your body or, or on yourself or hypothetically for any given situation. So it's like a landmarking. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Can you give us an example on the body? So if I'm visualizing, I'm putting this, and I have it actually in front of me, I'm putting it on myself. So let's say my liver. So if you look at the liver, that's almost a, a, a more focused way of honing in. So let's go one step further back. So let's blow it up into a more objective view. So taking the magic square with the nine numbers, you truly place it on yourself and then you can dissect yourself into those three floors. So you have the bottom floor, which are your legs, your feet, your pelvis, okay. then you have the middle floor, which is all of your organs and your arms. And then you have that top floor, which is your head and your eyes. So the numbers represent a piece of your body. So in the bottom line, when you show the graphics, you will see 618. And then on the middle floor, you will see three, sorry, you will see 753. And on the top floor, you will see 294. So those numbers have meanings. And that's when the quality of numerology comes in handy. Because there's a number, so everyone can see nine as nine, but what does it truly represent? So each number represents a quarter or a quadrant of your body. So let's take the right leg, the right hip, and your right foot. This is represented as room number six. The meaning of room number six or the description is the garage. 
So it's the leg which has mobility. If you think of your car, it's a vehicle or your bike or your skateboard. So you take it to literally move out into the world. So the right leg represents your mundane leg. It's the risk-taking leg. It's the leg that foots a bill. It's putting your best foot forward. And translated, it means, what's my next step? How do I take it and propel myself into my next venture, next risk, next step? So that right leg gets a whole body of meaning right? Because the number six represents embodiment, but also virility. It's virtue. It's vigilance. So all of these archetypes are represented in your right leg. So let's say you have a pain in your right hip. You so quickly start to understand what it translates to. Ah, It's the right leg. Maybe I have been doing too much lately, right? So there's a neurological understanding of what's happening physically. It's beautiful because it's very practical, like what you, what you just explained, but it's, it's a lot. And um, I mean, even looking at the magic square, you know, the drawing, it's beautiful. (laughs) It's like, but there's so much information, right? But you just what you explained um, makes makes sense, and it's very practical. And you know, I think that's um, very useful. So you did mention Katona Yoga, and how is the correlation with um, Katona Yoga and the Magic Square? You mentioned um, Naveen took the magic square to Katona Yoga or what is that correct? Yeah, it's correct. So Naveen Mishan is the founder of Katona Yoga, which is a full body of work. So it's a method or it's a syncretic Hatha Yoga style. So we refer to it as a lens. So generally what she has done, she just pulled in so many threads because she's such a educated woman and whatever she came across that made sense for the practice she took it so you can facilitate your own navigation through life and through yoga practices so the magic square is something that truly gives you orientation if you look at the magic square as i said it's a tic-tac-toe board so it's so easy to put it on yourself like a grid line So remember, maybe in school or at university, when you did multiple choice um, exams. So how they actually treat multiple choice exams, they take a grid and they put it on the answer so they can quickly see what's right and what's wrong, right? So they don't have to go through it individually. And that's what actually the magic square does. It pulls you out of your own individual propensity. Because if you look at yourself or your body or your life from your very vantage point, you will miss certain things, which we call the blind spots. So through the means of that magic square, we can see 
Where am I going and what am I missing? Because if you have those numbers and you put them onto each and every single body part of you, you will notice, oh, shoot, I can't go to room number five. I somewhat, I somewhat miss it or I can't imagine going into that very room. And then you have an indication because that room has all of the symbolism, it has meaning, it has a profound meaning. And that's such a great way for every yogi, for every human to see where am I blindsided? Mm-hmm. What's a habit? And how can you make a habit visible and eventually change it? And has your original interest in numerology, what you mentioned earlier, Did that draw you to Katona Yoga? 100%. Not only the numbers, but it was the numbers, all the metaphors. There's such a strong language behind Katona Yoga. I was instantaneously attracted by the language because it was such a um, non-religious and symbolistic, beautiful language. So I thought, wow, I can relate so much to words because as I said in the beginning, I'm less pragmatic, but more visual. All those words gave me such a strong um, sense of feeling at home in my practice. So it was that, but also, as you said, all those drawings which we call glyphs there's so much coded hidden knowledge behind it i just thought it was so intelligent yes so as i mentioned before it's quite a big topic and a big world to dive into and of course the more you talk about now i'm like i really have to study more with (laughs) that um but where to start I think what's best is repetition. So we use Taoism as a point of reference. And Taoism, repetition plays a huge role. In the beginning, when you first hear all those numbers and the magic square and all those metaphors, you're blown away in a positive, but also in an absolutely overwhelmed way. So I recommend repetition because every repetition makes you a master in whatever you acquire to do, right? So for the people who are interested, I recommend just starting with the practice. So you can, there's so much material online, but in a way, if you only learn theory, you're not embodying the theory If you only do body work, you will have a body without knowledge. So I highly recommend pulling those two dangling braids together and weaving that third, the third, which is like a middle that integrates well. So I recommend coming to class, taking as many classes as possible. And if you're grappling with the practice, with the new insights, it's normal. It's normal. If I had to start playing the guitar today, it would take me years until I get a mastery in playing the guitar. Mm -hmm. So repetition is key and not giving up. So staying with something, continuously diving into that whole depth of knowledge. And eventually it will reveal after years of practicing, months of practicing. 
And you also touched on it a little bit already and gave some practical tips already, but how can we also take it into our life, like off the mat, off, yeah, off the mat into our life? And you mentioned blind spots, and I, I love that. Like, how can we use it, that knowledge, to our own benefit? Or also maybe to understand other people. Absolutely. So without telling other people, <laughs> I often use their um, birth date to get some implicit information about them. Because what I said in the beginning, there's always the explicit, what you can see. It's what other people convey, what they share, what they showcase. And there's always this hidden part, which you will not get to see unless they reveal it. So through the numbers, and of course, it's a bit sneaky, but I have <laughs> the means, so I do it. So sometimes when I want to understand the behavior of a person, I would take their numbers and calculate and understand which piece is so complicated to wrap my mind around. And um, if you don't know how to calculate numbers, um, what I find so helpful is to start understanding the magic square and you will get there if you study it and you can study it with me. You can study it with the Katona Yoga Center. And if you start to understand the meaning of numbers, so I'm going to give you a very practical example. So if you use the magic square on your body and I'm giving you an individual perspective. So I have a lot of pain in my left hip. So I have a hip impingement in my left hip. So knowing the magic square, the left hip represents room number eight. Eight in numerology is the most feminine number. It is an infinity sign. So it is the laundry room. It is where you literally wash out old stains. So it's truly lunatic. It's a place where I have a lot of old stuff. <laughs> this is where I need to do the work. I have to bring it around. I have to make it visible. So if someone feels an enormous sensation, positive or negative, in a certain area, and you can relate to a number, and then you learn the meaning of the number, then you can make your own connotation, the attribution to understand what is the symbolism telling me? What is it truly from my background that I know I'm, I'm grappling with or I'm having issues with? And then it will come to a forefront and then it becomes an insight. And through the insight, you can change something. Right? I love it. I love it. Can I give you something that I'm working with? Yeah, please. So it's getting better, but it keeps coming back. Pain in my neck on the right side. So Nobody can see it besides you because we're on video, but it's like on the right side, neck pain. So generally, this goes a bit deeper down, but we have um, a lot of arches in the body, which is a huge piece of Katona yoga because nothing in life is linear. So wherever you have an arch, the arch repeats. So we only have one actual neck, but we have five necks which are represented through that neck so we have the hand the wrist which is a neck and we have the two ankles which are two necks as well so the neck issue correlates with a neck issue in your 
wrist. So when you say it's the right side, I associate it with your right arm. And the right arm is room number seven, is where you follow through. It's where you do all the arduous work. It's where you stay accountable. And I know you. And I know how beautiful you are. I know how strongly you follow through. So it's almost as if you were overcharging that arm and that neck, right? So in a way, what is happening here can be manipulated here. So I showed what's happening in your actual neck can be manipulated in your right wrist. So we talk of flushing something to develop a buoyancy or a flippancy so you can go in every direction. And my teacher, Naveen, would then ask, where are you not kicking? Because you overstroke. So interesting. It is. So there's a whole new narrative to that. We could talk about it forever and we could then probably see indications in your body. And then on another level, a neck is always a funnel, right? So a neck is always where waters run down. And intuitively, I would ask you about your left hip too. What's happening in your left hip? Because it cross references down from your right arm into your left hip. We always look at diagonals. So my intuition would ask you, what's your left hip doing? How are you holding ground for yourself? How are you mothering yourself right now? Yeah, big topics. <laughs> so interesting. I love it. So good. Um, wow. Okay. We could do whatever, like we said. We might need to do like a, a second and a third episode. But um, how can people get more of you? Let's say it like that. And I know you do um, trainings, you teach, you do stuff offline in studio. And you do also lots of things online with other people as well. And people can learn from you and with you and about you. Tell us a little bit where that can happen. Thank you so much for bringing it forward. So the, the regular thing I'm doing right now is um, Tuesday evening, Thursday morning, Friday morning, hybrid classes due to the circumstances. Um, I have a little space at the Grossmünster, which is in the heart of Zurich. So this is what I teach regularly. Then I have three programs. One is online already. It's um, up since two years. I do it with Renny Bickle. She's a dear friend of mine who lives in New York. It's called We Bid In. It's a Katona Yoga self-mastery program. It's designed for people who are studying the material wherever they are on their journey and is, um, it's designed to have deep reflections, to have a, a more nuanced dialogue with yourself around Katona Yoga and what you asked earlier on, how to take the material and take it on off the mat into your life, into normal life situations. So this is a program which is online. It's called Weave It In. And then there's an upcoming program I am creating with my friend Miriam Hyman. It's called Everyday Hero. It's going to be a hybrid 12-hour program. It's going to be online for now. So we weave in the knowledge from Iyengar Yoga and Katona Yoga. And it's, as you see, it's a program for mundane yogis. We want to mitigate this idea of 
oh, I feel bad because I'm not so spiritual because I have a life. So this is really about modern people trying to find their way yeah, through, through arduous, difficult times. And then there's a third program coming up with Sandro Barisco. He's a Chinese doctor, and it's going to be um, a threefold path, and it's called Ancient Knowledge, Modern Essentials. So this is also pulling from the material of Kutona Yoga, but also essential oils and all of his in-depth knowledge around Chinese medicine. Yeah, so that's about it. That's a lot. And I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited to see <laughs> two upcoming ones that are coming soon. And of course, we'll link everything in the show notes as well, so people can find it easily. So thank you so, so much, Eileen, for sharing all your knowledge. And I know there is more, so I'm sure we'll do another one. Um, before we wrap it up, I... Wanted to ask you, as we are on the Life Creation podcast, um, and Life Creation means how all aspects of our life creatively intersect and are influenced by each other. It's also about connecting the dots and so that the beautiful artwork of our life can emerge. So for you, do you have a motto or a mantra or a quote that really guides you in your life? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm attracted to lyrics, so I have three, as a matter of fact, and they all more or less underline the same topic, and it's really alleviating the idea that we need to be perfect. I think the one, so I, I named the three, so you can look them up if, you, if you're interested interested in so one of them is from the Tao Te Ching and it's verse number two chapter two so you can look it up anywhere I'm not going to read it and the the one that I'm going to read is by Mary Oliver it's called Wild Geese this one probably describes it the best so let me see it's a uh, pretty well-known poem so it says you do not have to be good you do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves tell me about despair yours and I will tell you mine meanwhile the world goes on Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. Yeah, so this gives me shivers every time I read it. I love it so much. It just gives me shivers. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful poem which really reconciles with everything which is not perfect. And such does the second verse of the Tao Te Ching. And the third one, I'm not going to read it. You can just listen to it. Um, it's a song by Erica Badu. I love her so much. And it's called Didn't Chanel. 
So I think the three of them are guardrails. Very beautiful. Thank you so much. And we'll thank you so much, Andrea. All of these also in the show notes. So just lots of gratitude to you. Thanks, Eileen. Thank you for doing this for all of us. Um, deeply appreciate it. Wasn't that amazing? All the things Eileen shared. Thank you again, Eileen, for all your knowledge and wisdom. And thank you, dear listeners, for being part of our conversation here on the Life Creation Podcast. You can find all links we've mentioned and where to find Eileen in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to send it to your friends, your family members, or whoever you think would love to hear it. After all, sharing is caring, and it is how I get a lot of my inspiration and discover new things when I see something on social media or a friend sends it to me directly. To stay up to date, subscribe to the podcast over on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, stellar review and those magic five stars mean the world to me. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for being part of life creation. Mm-hmm.